Tell us how it is that a camera first come to be in your hand. Wow, well that was many years ago. I left school and uh, I was on my way from uh, Australia over to New Zealand. I was gonna hitchhike around New Zealand with a friend. We just left school. He pulled out of the trip at the last moment. I decided I was still going. And I went down to my uh, chemist and uh, they, had, they used to sell cameras in those days and they also processed film. Just about every chemist shop in Australia was doing that. So I bought this uh, really old film camera and I took it with me over to New Zealand and I hitchhiked around New Zealand for six weeks and I walked many miles, many days to take the most amazing photos I thought I could take only to find at the end of that whole trip not one of those damn photos came out. Uh, because they didn't tell me at the time that when you take a photo, uh, take a camera or in film and put it through an x-ray machine as they did in the scanning when you're going through the airports, that it will destroy the film. And that's what happened. So I was so thoroughly disappointed with that that I thought, well, the hell with the whole subject, I'm throwing it away for right now. And then it was many, many years later, at the start of the digital age, or digital had been coming in for a little while, and it was definitely going somewhere. And I picked up a little, uh, just a very small point and shoot camera, started playing around with that and just learned the controls and everything I could do with that and became fascinated with what cameras could do. And with digital, it was a great way to learn because you weren't uh, losing film or wasting lots of useless shots on a film that was costing you money to pay for the film and the development and scanning. So I got my first camera and then I got rid of that one some months later because I felt like I had outgrown it. And then I went to a larger camera and I went through about that process for about three or four years. And each time I would get a camera, I would really explore all the possibilities of that particular camera and what it could produce. And then eventually I came across a photographer in the US who was doing uh, water photography, but his water photography was so different to anything else I'd seen. His photography was above and below the water. It was called split photography or above and belows, over unders. And he would do a lot of this in rock pools and he would even do panoramics and he would use lighting. So a lot of his photography was at night or uh, late afternoon, early morning, and it would produce some amazing effects. And once I saw this, I was totally hooked on his photography and his name was Dale Kovacek. And he actually makes underwater cameras, or sorry, underwater housings for cameras in the US. So once I saw the work that he was producing, I was totally hooked on that. And from there, I just had to go into that as my genre of photography. So at that point, I didn't have any equipment. I had some cameras and I searched out for a uh, underwater housing. And I, underwater housings, believe it, you know, they are quite expensive and can be quite expensive, but I couldn't afford that. So I did a lot of research at the time. I looked on secondhand lists and on the internet and I finally found a guy that was selling an underwater housing. It was an old Olympus underwater housing, uh, but it did not have a large dome port and it could not fit one. So I bought that whole unit for $100. I got a strobe light, I got the underwater housing, I got a carry case, I got a lot of stuff for 100 bucks, 100 US dollars. I got uh, a pretty good deal there. 
So I went to town and then I didn't know how to get the dome port for split water photography. You need to have a large, at least like a eight inch dome, which goes on your, your water housing so that you can do above and below and capture enough of the above and below there. Uh, so I did a lot of research and I found a, a company that was making domes for various things like for caravans, for uh, security cameras and things like that. And I paid 45 bucks and I got my first dome. And optically, it was really, really good. And to this day, I still use those domes. I've bought more of them. Uh, I'm sure the uh, camera manufacturers or the, the housing manufacturers would hate me for saying this, but spending two to $3,000 on a, on, a, on a professional dome when I was buying my domes for 45 to $55 and optically getting amazing results. Uh, I'm sure they hate me for saying that, but if you're interested in getting into that, that's a way you can do it. There's always a will if you have a desire to find ways around things. And that made the whole journey for me a very inexpensive trip. The next thing I did there is uh, I then had to work out how to fit this dome. I made a backing plate out of polycarbonate and mounted it onto the dome, figured out how to put that there. Got a beautiful uh, wide angle lens and you definitely want to have a wide angle lens if you're starting for, let's say, underwater seascapes and rather than a telephoto lens. And uh, my first dome experience didn't really work out too well. It leaked. So I then scrapped that one and made another one and it was perfectly watertight and it lasted for uh, several years uh, till I got rid of it. It didn't actually leak at all after I, when I made the tweaks to it. And then I just started practicing. I mean, and I really think that this is one of the key things. If you're trying to get into things at that time, you've got to, at that time, there was really not a lot of information on how to do underwater photography in terms of that style of photography, particularly split water photography. So I started researching on the internet, whatever I could find. There wasn't a lot. So that led me to just having to teach myself and get in the water. And I just started shooting all sorts of subjects, rock pools, in the ocean, in the surf, flat water, rivers, whatever I could find, I would get in and just try it. So that, you bring up an interesting point, Tony, and I want to see if, if you can remember a story that you told me, which I think was very pertinent. Um, <laughs> what was and, that one? Yeah, well, basically you were hiking um, in the hills of Hollywood and you actually came across either it, the, the person was a professional photographer or a well-known photographer and you tried to get into communication with him and he wouldn't actually tell you anything about what he did and i wanted i wanted you to tell that story and connect it to how you actually then got on to doing study of courses yourself and how oh, why yeah. is that important yeah uh i was just doing some photography up in the hollywood hills and uh, a guy came over and he could, uh, I was photographing my motorbike and uh, this guy came over and he was there with uh, two little girls. One was his daughter and one was the friend of the daughter. And he said, look, uh, I noticed you're taking the photographs here. Um, maybe I can help you with this. If you did this and if you did that. And he said, he told me he was a professional photographer and uh, he photographed cars for a living and his photographs would go into car magazines. And he kept on telling me these pointers and everything and they were very valuable but when I asked him to see if he would actually teach me a bit about the subject 
he said, don't expect me to teach you. It, and it really kind of stood out to me how this, this was a very closed door uh, circuit that professionals didn't want to give out their secrets to photography because it would affect their own income. That was his viewpoint. And if he, why, he said, why would I train you on how to do it? You'll only become my competition. So at that point I thought, okay, well, that led me to that study, what I could find myself, articles, and I only found about five or 10 articles on really doing split shot water photography at the time. And that meant getting in the water and just doing the practicing, as I was saying before. And then I didn't have any style or any technique, but after quite a lot of hours, I started to see there were certain things that if you did, it would give you this type of shot. And if you did this, it would give this type of effect. And I learned how to produce uh, waves in flat water, how to make flat water actually have curving waves in it. Uh, just by trial and error and coming up with my own technique on that. I learned how to get those sun rays coming through because angles and the time of day and things like this all had a, a, a great relevance to what type of shot you were getting. How to use underwater strobing, like whether you want to shine it from above, below, from the side, things like this made a lot of difference. So, and eventually I started developing my own techniques there and for the style that I wanted and the type of artistic work that I wanted to produce. I wouldn't call myself a surf photographer. I wasn't really doing that. I was just uh, very interested in producing artistic water photography and the shapes that water would give you and using lighting to produce those shapes. Great. So I find it interesting that uh, I'm sure everyone can hear it in the background. It's actually raining. Yeah, right we got now. a lot of rain here. Kangaroos and... over here. <laughs> Many we, kangaroos, actually. <laughs> what I find it interesting that uh, we were about to do this uh, video and I pointed out that, oh, it's raining. And you, you didn't take any time at all to say, let's get out there. We can still, we can still do this and we can still yeah. get a good shot. And I didn't realize that even though it's overcast, it, there's still a lot of light. Sure. And um, um, I wanted to just ask the question, there's going to be people that will be watching this they're not necessarily interested in photography and that's okay. But in terms of, of a hobby, what do you, what do you give uh, advice would you like to give to anyone that's watching and listening to this on taking up a hobby in the 21st century? What do you think would be important about a hobby? Look, I believe that it's really, really important to have a hobby. You've got to have an interest in life that motivates you, that drives you, that gets your creative juices going, that when you wake up in the morning, you get an idea about how you could do this with your hobby or you could do that with your hobby. Uh, it's, really, it's really helped me have an interest in life. Uh, I've always been interested in life as life, but like having a hobby, you know, sometimes I go to bed and I'm thinking, what type of shot do I wanna produce next and how to do this? And sometimes you don't sleep because you, you become so consumed with that, but it's a very, it's a very creative and a very therapeutic type of uh, value to having a hobby because it makes you create and it brings you a lot of uh, personal joy. Uh, and when you get something and you can produce a nice product with it, there's a lot of satisfaction to be had with having a hobby where you get a good product. Fantastic. So Tony, I'd like to thank you 
for your time. It's uh, I've interviewed you before. Yeah. It's an utter pleasure. Thank you, Thank you very much for uh, being here and telling us all your story. No problem. Thanks, Thank you, Colin.